0: <laughs> oh
1: god we're live what do we do now
0: we are we are now live
2: <laughs> oh and cory
0: no. can't get in because we're full
1: <laughs> oh
2: I, I can i can drop out
1: yeah Wait, i can drop no, no no I, <laughs> it's fine yeah everyone's like <laughs> I, I can go tell cory to take and take take a day you know don't take a day we got this
3: <laughs> he's got such good hot takes though
4: he does have great I have hot no takes. one else to
3: play
1: yeah, off he of.
4: does yeah what are we gonna hot
1: take yeah. from <laughs> trust, trust me trust un- me with this work, there will be hot takes um,
3: <laughs> so did anybody anybody actually play hell Divers 2 this weekend no what no, i don't even know what that there. is oh man so it was a vi- <laughs> wow i was talking about it earlier it was a, it's a video game that they expected like a hundred thousand people to play and like seven hundred thousand people played and they didn't have like a queue set up or anything so no one could get in and the world was screaming <laughs> And then I figured out a way to get to get past the queue, and it was glorious. So, but so I you, guess so. I, you're saying you
4: hacked a video game? I didn't
3: hack it. I just right clicked and I got in. That's all I'm gonna say. But <laughs> it, they fixed everything now. Everything's cool now. It's
4: you hit
5: okay, okay. Twelve and got, got him in. So, no, no.
2: <laughs> yeah. Then no one in this room has ever hacked a video game. Never.
4: No. <laughs> no. Oh, there was there, there was a video game a while ago called uh, the the uh, it was like Monte Crypto. And me and Bo and Steve played this game, right? And the and the goal of the game was uh, that you had to solve these like twelve challenges, and you could win a full Bitcoin, right? And what happened is, is that like at first we were like trying to run through the game and stuff and like try to go through this maze and it took forever. And they were like, screw this crap. We got like Cheat Engine. We're just <laughs> hacking the hell out of this game. And the whole thing was, is that the designer had designed it like that. Like you were gonna have to hack it at certain points. So it was really-
1: funny. I am so sorry, but before we start, guys, I wanna introduce you to my, my brother from another mother, Mr. Mike Poor. And um, when it comes to video game hacking, <laughs> i think king guardians has it, mike do you want to talk about the Wii match and the Venge video game hacking from years back before we start just kind of setting the stage for that this is this is one of my favorites but go ahead mike if you want to set it up go uh,
0: so so at the time uh, we had the, the illustrious josh wright working for us and uh it, it essentially he set up a hack of the wii tennis racket uh, that uh, essentially would jam all of the channels that the Bluetooth uh, racket would uh, uh, would use, because uh, we wouldn't know ahead of time which particular channel it would be on. Uh, so uh, this particular hack took him about six months to work on and develop. Uh, so we we were teaching at an Orlando event. They had the Wii set up uh, for you know students and instructors during the breaks and otherwise, uh, or skip class and play play Wii tennis or something. So. Uh, basically josh had set up like hey when we're in orlando let's have you know our 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 rematch because we had had a a a wee tennis match at a previous SANS conference and i i beat him of course due to my extreme athletic prowess uh so uh, josh spent about six months working on a hack uh and you know unbeknownst to me my entire company was in on that uh whenever we'd get on conference calls or whatever uh they would sit in uh, and uh, and discuss how this hack would work and and what they were building. Uh, so came time, Orlando, Wednesday after class showdown. And I walk up, and Josh and his class are all standing there in front of the Wii. And I, I thought to myself, they like, oh, go, I'm I'm dead now. Uh, you know, Josh, he's an amazing you know technical hacker uh, as well as you know master of all things uh, RF. Uh, so you know, I I knew I was in for some shenanigan. So I walk up and uh, I, uh, uh, you know, I get handed a racket. So that already to myself set off all my alarm bells. And uh, so I pick up the racket and I look at it. And right when we're about to start, I turn to Josh and said, you don't mind if, well, I use your racket and you use this one. He's like, oh, no problem. And I thought, Kobayashi Maru, the guy, you know, literally was planning on it from the beginning. Uh, So I have this racket. So Josh, uh, or I serve. You know, I serve, Josh uh, hits back and I go to hit back and the racket doesn't move. You know, it just whiffs and I'm like, oh, okay." Uh, so I serve again. Josh hits back. I hit back, expecting it not to work. And it actually hits the ball. He hits back and then my racket doesn't work. So we go through this whole thing. He beats me hands down. uh, And uh, he said, well, let me introduce my cohort over here. And his facilitator from the class uh, steps forward. He says, why don't you show what you have in your pocket? So he pulls out this RF Bluetooth jammer uh, that would jam all of those uh, particular channels, uh, and uh, pretty much every time Josh wiped his brow, they would jam my racket uh, so that he could beat me at Wii tennis, which is awesome. <laughs> uh, the, uh, so I, I was honored. He spent six months of time, including you know my company time, uh, to, uh, to do a device to uh, beat me at Wii tennis.
1: Hello, 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 and welcome to another edition of Talking About News. My name is John Strand, and this edition, we're going to be talking about Mr. Cooper having data exposed for over 2 million customers. Now, you may think this is a time machine. We've gone back in time. No, 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 this is a completely different Mr. Cooper breach. We're also going to be talking about change healthcare and the cyber attack there. We're going to be talking about ConnectWise, Screen Connect. We're going to be discussing the Chinese doing Chinese hacker type things, the LockBit take down and then we'll see where we actually go from there i am joined this week by a great panel of people that hopefully i can see we are joined by mike poor who told the we match Venge story which actually is only half of the story maybe someday we can get mike to tell the rest of the story because it's gets better but that's up to mike we're also joined by wade and wade's fantastic mustache wade it's good to have you back sir it's good to be back john Absolutely. And Mike, who's here almost all the time, as always. Thank you for joining.
6: Thank you for having me.
1: You bet. We have Alex and his very creepy mannequin behind him, as always, again. Yep. We got Bronwyn is on. Bronwyn, good to have you back as well. And uh else to we here? gotta go back to the thing. Andrew, you managed to sneak in. Awesome. Thank you for joining. Oh uh, man. We all- Zach and Hackerman, or also known as Florida Man. And as always, Ryan pulling this whole thing together, making us look good, smell good, and feel good. Um, so let's jump straight into the news stories. I've got to start with this Mr. Cooper story. I'm going to set the stage and I want to get everyone's kind of hot take on it. Uh, Mr. Cooper, a major US mortgage company, left an open Google Cloud instance exposing details of millions of its customers only two months after the company suffered a severe data breach. If you remember, they were shut down so hard that people couldn't make their payments online. So it was a fairly big deal. And I almost didn't bring the story up because I, I thought it was the same one. That it was the same one. And, you know, when you get hacked, I, I totally have nothing but love and sympathy in my heart for whenever people get compromised. Whenever something like this, it means that there's, some pretty fundamental steps in the incident response process that were probably missed. And I kind of want to get you guys' takes on this. Does anybody have anything to add to this or what your thoughts are other than, of course, it's bad, uh, real bad.
5: It's bad. It's it's bad. real bad.
1: <laughs> <I declined the laughs> Nobody else is
7: picking up there. They're, they're setting the bar at a new low. It's a pretty normal thing, right? Um, so I, I think the thing a lot of people don't understand in Google Cloud it, versus the other clouds is that you can make literally anything public. It's a, it's a feature.
5: Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> it, I was thinking that if it weren't like just after a data breach, then you might have some case for like, yeah, you can make anything public. But like after a data breach, somebody's <laughs> got to come in and be like, hey, there is like literally a blinking red light over here for this stuff being very, very public. Do we want to take care of that? And, you know,
1: I want to, so I want to ask, so with Amazon, whenever you do that, um, just kind of leaving this up to the cloud people, it literally is throwing lots of warnings. Does Google have that level of warnings for its customers? Or is it kind of like what Amazon was like five, six years ago?
7: So they they do if you turn it on. Yeah. And AWS now, like AWS is fortunately trended towards, uh, not public is the default for, for all new accounts, unfortunately. Most people don't live in new accounts. Um, for GCP, it's it's wild, wild West times largely.
1: And then then the other thing, and Mike, I want to bring you in, by the way, once again, I don't know what's recorded and put out there, but for those of you that are joining us, uh, Mike Poor is on with us. Mike Poor is like a big brother to me in the security industry. But Mike, whenever you know, you and I have been teaching incident response for a long time. Let's just say a long time, greater than a long time, let's just leave it at that. And one of the things that we always talk about is failure to stop reinfection. And what kind of pushback do you get within guardians whenever you're doing an incident? And a lot of times we try to tell people, hey, we should do a quick vulnerability analysis, quick, dirty. It's not going to be like we're going to try to just give a company a once over. And we get pushback on that. Do you see that kind of changing with the incidents that you all are working where people are more open to like, yes, let's make sure that we don't have any other doors? that are openers, there's still a lot of pushback for doing vulnerability analysis as part of an incident response gig.
0: So over the last two decades, uh, what I've seen is it kind of trend better and then worse. Uh, So 20 years ago, we got called in to do an incident uh, where their online purchasing system had been compromised and it was feeding a bot into an IRC channel, but posting real live customer credit card information and everything else. And we went in to contain the breach and help them respond to this. And, and the first thing was, you have to take the store offline. And they said no. Uh, and it's, we said, okay, well, we're done here. Time to go. Uh, and they said, well, wh- what do you mean? You, you got to help us, you know, deal with the breach. And and it's like, well, first you have to contain the bleeding. And uh, and they really didn't want to. They said, you know, we're still selling product. And and, and then you know, I I think that maybe based on the types of customers that we were servicing, for example, as well as the, the general industry trend. Uh, it ramped up dramatically to we want to know what happened. We want to know what data was accessed, not just to, to figure out who we have to notify, uh, but literally to be able to stop the breach and stop the bleeding. And uh, and then with a lot of the regulation for the, the need to disclose and so forth, it started to be be run by the lawyers, uh, and at that point, I think that it dropped off a little bit, uh, well, we got increased pushback where, hey, we just want to know, do we have to notify uh, and uh, and and how do we move on? Yeah. So yeah, that that's what I've seen over time, and, and we still get pushback uh, when we want to contain uh, and do additional analysis, look for additional signs of breach uh, or additional points of disclosure.
1: Mike, I kind of wanted to ask you, you know, whenever you're seeing this type of thing, I mean, you work predominantly in financial and this is kind of like quasi tangential to that. Like, what do you, what do you think is going to be some of the fallout for Mr. Cooper? Is there anything that's going to be a fallout? It's just like, they've already dealt with one breach. There's really going to be, there's really not going to be anything bad. Ain't nothing going to happen uh, from this. Like, what are your thoughts? And wait, I want to get your take on this as well. uh, Cause you both work a lot of incidents. Like, Having one bad breach that shut them down for weeks, to where they couldn't process anything, and then less than two months after that, another breach. It seems to me like there should be some like repercussions for this, right?
6: There should be, but the odds are that there really won't be. I'm actually surprised that they're not turning around and blaming their incident response team for it, saying that. I'm surprised. In that containment. In the containment yeah. process, they opened this up for the external IR team to go ahead and take a look at and everything forgot to get turned back to the way that it was. That's the most logical thing. They're going to come up with something. My biggest thing is that seeing something like this and the amount of breaches that are are happening, I've not seen it directly, but indirectly something in the back of my mind is starting to itch that the lawyers are starting to force the C-suite to build in the contingency of, oh, we're going to have a breach, especially with how many breaches are out there right now and how yes. frequent we see them. Uh, as far as the financials go, as long as there's no fraud that's actually happening, you're not going to see a lot of blowback. It's when the fraud starts hitting on the financial side that you'll start seeing more and more of the blowback on it, at least from my experience.
3: I, I cool. think Lucent, Lucent Shadow hit it on the head, right? They're publicly traded, so with yeah. the new, with all the new laws about having to actually talk about anytime you got a breach and having, was it the SC, SEC SCC filing, right. That you have mm-hmm. to actually say you're breached now. I think that's going to be the new thing, especially with, uh, the past couple instances we saw of, of something very similar to this. Um, the other big thing, right. Is just, th- this is like bread and butter for like a couple of the big, the big threat actors out there right now. And I'm not surprised. Otherwise, uh, I can't really talk about this breach that much. And I'll leave it Okay.
1: Perfect. Fantastic. (laughs) Um, So, Alex, I got a quick question for you. Whenever you see the information based on kind of what you do, like when you start seeing that leaked data is names, customer IDs, loan numbers, enrollment links, email addresses, phone numbers. Once again, as Wade just said, this is kind of bread and butter stuff. This is the stuff that you can use or not, you know, we can use legitimately as part of our security assessments. But what I'm trying to get at, I guess, is, We're not going to see a direct one-to-one correlation like this breach. You can immediately tie it to another breach because this data can be used in so many different attack vectors, correct?
5: Yeah, it can be used in a lot of attack vectors. And then importantly, like this also answers the the question, I see this come up a lot where financial institutions are like, well, how are they getting the specifics for our customers? How are they knowing that they need to call this customer as this bank president or as this credit union president, uh, how do they know the stuff? And it's like, well, it's data breaches. Like your customer's data gets breached. And then later on down the line, they go, hey, this is Mr. Cooper uh, reaching out to you about loan with number da, 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 da. And we need to correct some items uh, and have that information on hand. But, you know, a lot of uh, organizations go, well, are there any of our passwords in this data breach? No. Did we stop the bleed? Sort of I mean, debatable in this case. And then they move on. They go, okay, the data's out there. We we did the incident response. It's cleaned up, I'm not realizing that this information is going to be used later on to create a, a mess and fraud and continue to be a, a fraud problem. I think
3: one one thing to hit on that Alex talked about is the fraud, right? So this is dealing with home loan information, which is big money. If you get in the right email address, or you sit man in the middle with someone, right? Someone accidentally moving a large sum of money, then. There you go. There's a couple hundred grand. There's a, a bunch of good stories about this happening and becomes very, very hard to get this type of money back. And it's a, I would say it's a low investment, high, like low investment, high yield type of attack, usually with this type of stuff, just because of the sheer amount of money that's coming through all these home loans.
1: And, and the Bron- of data that was released. Right? I, I brought, and I wanted to bring you in on a question that you and I have talked about in the past. Yeah. This is like a lot of their customers can just, well, I'm just going to go with somebody else, right? Like, sometimes these loans are incredibly difficult to try to shift to somebody outside of, like, Mr. Cooper. I'm, I'm, I don't know about you, but I think that there's probably a lot of people that would love to move their loans right now. But it's not that simple. <laughs> it's almost a once you get locked in.
2: Yeah, it, it really is. And, and this is one of the things that I, I wanted to bring into the conversation, too. How many of these organizations really realize that a data breach is a gift that keeps on giving? You know, just because you get breached today, you've done the incident handling today, great. Three, six, twelve, eighteen months down the line, that data can still be inflicting real harm on real people. And yeah, it isn't easy to move a mortgage. It isn't easy to to move a loan. I mean, heck, look at how hard it is to consolidate student loans.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So trying to back out of this is difficult. All right. Any final thoughts on this before we move on to some of the other stories? Cause God, there's so many stories this week. It's a little bit insane. All right, let's move on. I want to talk about ConnectWise, uh, because this happened very, very quickly after our last show. And by the way, I I think this is since we've been doing the show, one of the first perfect 10 CVE scores. We've had with for
4: now for now they're going to get they're going to pay for the extra premium to get it
1: I don't think like so, them. actually <laughs> it's interesting. so last week, this dropped, right, and I just shared the uh, link real quick in the chat. so last week this uh, this dropped, and Connectwise released it, and Connectwise was like, "This is a 10, and they got out in front of it. I really felt like Connectwise did a good job, and I wanted to kind of give some people background on that. Um, I was asked to be part of a webcast for the cyber call with Andrew Morgan and, uh, kind of moderate a panel discussion with John Hammond and, um, some other people. And the, the CISO of ConnectWise was on and there was no requirement. Like I was able to ask whatever I wanted. He came on, he did a very, very good job. He did an excellent job saying, Hey, we found this. We're going to make this patch available for people that aren't even paying for a current license of screen connect. Like they did a really, really, really good job. The only question I felt like he kind of danced around a little bit is I asked, what are you doing different between last week and next week? Because right now, this week, you're focusing on this issue, right? You're getting this patch out. You're getting this vulnerability addressed as quickly as you possibly can. You worked and you did things last week and your life is going to be different next week. How is it going to be different? And I you know, he's in the middle of an incident, he's doing press releases, he's going on all kinds of different places to talk about it, to let as many people know about this vulnerability as possible and get a patch out there. But that was kind of the only question I felt like he kind of tap danced around. But this vulnerability, for those of you that don't know, is you literally can access the Screen Connect Setup Wizard page, the ASPX page, directly after it's been set up. So you can set up, set up the authentication, set up all of the users and like configure the entire thing. And then you can force browse right back to the wizard and redo it. Or the other thing that you can do is you can submit requests to this page to add new users and passwords added to this thing, uh, to the Screen Connect. And the reason why it has a high severity is Screen Connect is a remote management tool. So you don't just get access to that server, you also have the ability to then gain access to all of the clients that are running the Screen Connect software. Uh, so it was absolutely insane um, that, you know, two things. One, this is a crazy vulnerability. I know Mike is looking at this and like, is this like 1999 type vulnerability, the directory traversal. And it's really, really crazy how good I think ConnectWise has gotten it out there, actively trying to advertise this to as many people as they possibly can and get the word out to try to get this stuff, um, to get this addressed. But I wanted to get you all's take on this one. Like I said, I I think that ConnectWise is doing a good job handling it, but there are some serious questions about this SDLC that have to be addressed at that company very quickly.
3: Honestly, the article they published was great, right? So it, it mm-hmm. allowed for the community to come together and throw out some detections really quick, which I threw into chat, a couple of Sigma alerts. And that's that's the one thing I care about. If you're gonna have this big vulnerability, of course there's gonna be like problems, but if you actually get behind it, give it to the community and
1: tell us exactly what's going on, at least we can and build preventions and detections for it. At well, and that's, kind of what, that's kind of what Huntress did. Uh, John Hammond actually worked in Microsoft Blackpoint Cyber, did a really good job working with ConnectWise, to get IOCs and get Sigma rules. I think Florian had some out like within a day. We're already seeing organizations getting popped with this vulnerability. And the thing that sucks is the vulnerability is trivial to exploit. There's a patch, it's available. The issue isn't necessarily the vulnerability at this point. It's just, there's tons of organizations that just are not part of this echo chamber to know about the vulnerability and get it fixed. And those are the ones that are getting popped right now. But yeah, I thought that that was great. There was one jackass company. I can't remember the name of the company. Maybe someone can hit it in chat that they immediately dropped like the exploit, like within a few right. hours. I think it was like tower or something. They, they had to get the street um, crash. John. You they had that. to be the You're right. Yeah. You gotta hey, I got to verify the
3: detection some way. Okay. I don't know. what. They're yeah. Doing. <laughs> right.
4: <laughs> there are definitely is some POCs out now. Obviously, um, you said, John, someone had dropped it. And so there, it's, it's, it's out there now. I, you know what? I'm going to be surprised, though. To th- so remote d- or uh what is it uh uh desktop anywhere, mm-hmm. or what was the last one that uh Dude, it's
1: hit? like one a week now
4: right. you know? yes, so there's there's a bunch of these out yeah. there, so like a bunch of these products for uh, remote management, and a lot of i uh, you know different companies are using bombgars, another example uh, there's many, right? um, and so what don't be surprised any desk, thank you. don't be surprised to see this uh in another product, right. Um, because they're getting used all over a lot of different enterprises. So,
3: uh, um, as, as like, well, well, what do you guys see mostly people use to, to like, in lieu of connect at like in lieu of these tools, what would you recommend using most? Cause I know at least for corporations I've worked at, we just block every, like any of these types of software cannot go outbound. And if, if we ban I, them from being downloaded oh. on network and block them at the firewall, if, if labeled remote management tool block type of deal.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I've I've even seen like uh, firewall detection hits for call um, remote management software in general. Yeah.
1: yeah, someone's someone's getting dosed right now. But this also, <laughs> I was this also kind of <laughs> well, you know, this kind of shows the difference between the MSP space and an MSSP space and like the standard corporate America security space, right? Because if you go to corporate America and you're like, "What do you guys use for remote management?" A lot of them like look at you funny and they're like, "We use remote desktop." I don't know what you're talking about the like, RDP side of the network. They're not trying to do management to dozens of companies Ooh. and so, so John, manage it. Go ahead, Mike.
4: No, John, I was just going to say, I think that a lot of companies are moving to these R- RMMs because of uh, work from home and other kinds of more mobile travel for these devices, right? Um, so, you know, and remote desktop just might not be on the host. Um, maybe they're not on Windows. I mean, there, there's a lot of other things. But yeah, I mean, I definitely see them being deployed in enterprises, right? Uh, outside of the VPN, right? Just a way for their uh, support desk to get into these systems to access them, right? So I
3: hate to say it, that's why I see zero trust being pushed out a lot, right? As, yeah. uh, that in yeah. lieu of that VPN, in which it's a good reason for it, but I hate, I hate the, every time I see all the software used. Like if you look at any good threat actors nowadays, they're trying to live off the land, right? And as soon as you see one of these, you know you're going to have to somehow track. This remote management software, if it's going to be used properly or improperly, I know uh, Nork is another well, big one. I think that's how you pronounce
1: it. Wait. And, and, this gets into a problem though. Stream Connect, This was actually used by a b- bunch of adversaries, right? Yeah, because a lot of a lot of pen testing firms and actual nation state adversaries are actually using these programs because so many EDRs already have pre built white like listing a lot because they're signed for them to run. What's that?
4: I said they're signed. They're signed executables
1: and
3: they're (laughs) not necessarily. Thanks a lot.
4: It's funny because I've actually set these things up and you'll see like some of your uh, EDR products will detect it. They'll be like, oh, this is bad. Right. But then, you know, organizations have to put them in. So it's like this balancing act between legitimate use case and non-legitimate. And then it becomes like, well, just depends on what you do with your mouse and keyboard. Right, that's the only difference. So the the worst
3: part is you got to play whack-a-mole with it as a defender because there's just so many of them. Hopefully your firewall can Mm -hmm. signature them. If not, hopefully you notice it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Before Before we move off of this, too, one of the things I wanted to touch on is that John, you mentioned that we've got a an increase in these RMM attacks. Well, of course we do because malicious actors are the ultimate uh, fashionistas when it comes to hacking. So if hey, here's an RMM we can attack. Are there any others out there that we can also leverage? So we're, it's, we're it's blood China. in the water.
1: Yeah, we're going to get to China here in a little bit. But, and, you know, kind of feeds on, we're going to talk about Lockbit first. But no, absolutely. Like with a lot of these adversaries are going after these products because it's like, why do we rob banks? It's where the money is. Uh, why I do mean- we have more tools? It's because that's where the access is, right? <laughs>
6: Well, it, And look, it's a one dimensional many attack. At you take a look at this and you go back. This is not new. Kaseya was hit, what was it, two years ago, three years ago? And they're one of the big RMM providers out there that allow for branding for these MSSPs to go ahead and do it. The question is, is we can go ahead and control it in the corporate environment. How do we deal with it? with the small businesses that are using these MSSPs. Because they need and it. Then, they and, and, it. Then, and then how, how do we control it, though, from that standpoint? How do we get them to move to something that's not going to be as blatant? I mean, you just leave RDP it, open. It's it's that whole problem. Leave RDP open to the Internet. Yeah, public on the Internet. It's better that <laughs> way. I'm just kidding. No, we're just kidding.
1: Don't listen to Ralph. <laughs> 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 yeah, no. Mike, you were going to say Pay something. no attention
2: to the man.
0: Well, I was just uh, uh, elaborating on, on the fact that it's a one-to-many attack, right? So I- I- if I yeah. find a, a flaw in an RMM, for example, then I can use it against, you know, thousands of corporations and thousands and thousands of users. Uh, so it's a, it's a good return on investment.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So I want to talk about the Lockbit takedown. <sighs> so, Ralph, do you want to set this one up? We were kind of talking about it in the continuous pen testing meeting. So basically Lockbit got taken down. I think there was a PHP vulnerability that uh Lockbit actually gave a walkthrough of how they were actually compromised. But do you want to kind of talk about this one a little?
4: Yeah. So I mean they pretty much their their infrastructure uh you know got seized and then they got attacked via the uh a PHP vulnerability and then they posted about their attack uh in that uh in like their whole write up, right? So like, you know, the 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 agencies were utilizing this vulnerability to take down their infrastructure. Right. So it's yeah. It's interesting. They're already back
3: up. That's, that's one thing to hit them. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Well, (laughs) well, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously it's like whack-a-mole, right? Like, uh.
1: and, and that gets into like how, you know, we celebrate these, right? Like people are talking about, you know, as they brought down, like they say, they brought down black cat, they brought down a server from black cat. Um, This one, they're coming back up already. And this makes big news, and everyone's like, oh, they brought it down, and they just move on. And I don't know if this is as much of a victory as people try to make it sound like it is. I, I don't know. Am I being too cynical no, on this? absolutely. It, it seems right. like they no. brought down c no. like, C2 no. server and a couple of things.
3: Well, they okay. had... No, they got to the remote management. Uh, they have pictures of, like, the back end, right? So then yeah. I guess it's a, another one-to-many attack. They could have... Uh, they probably could have done some stuff from there. But once again, like, these... Threat actors don't have to do IR. They don't have to have continuity. They just say, all right, burn it all down. We'll build another one over here. We don't really yeah. care that much. They do have some good customer service, yes, but at the end of the day, they're just there to make the money, which is...
1: So White ideas. Cyberduck said it. White Cyberduck said two things. One, can I get permission to hack RMM tools? Not yet. White Cyberduck. No, you <laughs> not have permission. And then I think this is a great victory. It's scary if you're hiding um, from the feds to get hacked. And I can kind of see that, right? Um, I don't know how much fear these organizations are in whenever these servers get compromised. I kind of lean to not much, but something, right? You've got to have something associated with it. Well, well which organizations are you talking well, about and... having fear, John? Because there's, no, there's a to be... I think that it, the, what he's trying to say is, like, the bad organizations yes. have some fear, and I don't...
5: I, I was going to say some of the well. good organizations, the ones that got compromised, now have this fear for the, it's like, well, did you did you say you didn't you restored services without paying, but alas, the server oh. details show that that is not correct. Or Dude, you, said that, you said that you did the negotiations, and your your information is secure. You took the necessary measures to secure the data, and this batch or, of server information shows that that is not correct. So you told or your regulators, traded company," yeah. and you said nothing, and yeah. you're showing up on this as well. There you go. So that's why I'm like, it's the good companies that might be scared too.
4: Do you think we're gonna see more hackback from the feds? Or the feds, from other governments?
1: The feds have been doing this a long time, all the way back to the Wallodeck botnet. Mm-hmm. Um, usually what they do is um they work with the US Marshals to enforce an ex parte injunction against these organizations. An ex parte injunction just means that the party that the injunction is is against is not expected to show up in court and uh and like fight it. But usually it's in conjunction with the Marshalls, Microsoft, a bunch of different organizations to basically degrade these botnets. And we've been doing it. It's been done for a long, long, long time. And Mike, you've actually been part of these. I mean, you've been doing this for a long, long, long time. You've been part of these shutdowns. There's a lot of red tape that you got to go through before these shutdowns occur. It's not like it's just like, let's bring down a botnet. Usually you got to get approvals from all kinds of different people before you actually make like the actual change that shuts it down with the FBI, the US Marshals, Secret Service gets involved and everybody's got to sign off on it, and like the highest levels. It's
2: kind of annoying and look at all
3: know, the all uh, on right? the picture, right? Like
2: <laughs> Yeah. Given, given all of the hoops that have to be jumped through, it's a miracle that any of these takedowns ever happen. And also getting back to your point about the the aggressors, do they have any fear? Well of course not. They're mostly in, com- in countries or they can't be extradited, so yeah, it's
7: oh, Russia. If
2: if we have if if we have any of these things happen, yeah, it's a great PR stunt. It probably does provide a little bit of relief to victims of these attacks, while the bad guys spin up a new well, instance or if, or farm.
3: If you did have, uh, if you did save the lockdowns uh, data, right, whatever data was ransomed, because now they have the code. So you could theoretically go unencrypt your information now. The other one I kind of want to know is if for the companies that did pay them to get rid of the data for any type of blackmailing type stuff, can we go look to see if they actually did get rid of it? Can we get a little bit <laughs> it, like, right? Like, that would be kind of cool. And the spoiler is not like, like they didn't get rid of anything. I
5: think. No, <laughs> they,
2: yeah. they
1: sold it off. Their data their
2: retention policy is keep everything. <laughs>
1: yeah. uh, dude, they have this van that said free candy spray painted on the side. They seem totally <laughs> legit. We could trust them. Free credit cards. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, I
0: think well, right. a couple of things that we've seen uh, kind of across the spectrum of, of articles that we're discussing today, though, Right, so you have you know, Connectwise, they're setting themselves apart because they're handling the situation pretty well. Uh, you've got uh, Lockbit essentially handling their takedown pretty well. You know, they're they're announcing things, uh, they're they're describing the attack Has it happened, and they're back up and running. We're 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 open for business. Um, so it, it, it's it, it's kind of one of those things that that this is becoming the new norm. Uh, is just yep this happens, you know, every company gets hacked, every company gets uh, ransomware installed on their systems, every company gets shut down and comes back online. Uh, so I, I just wonder if it's becoming oh, the new norm.
1: Dude, I've got a okay, so that that's going to lead right into another story. Um, U.S. health tech giant challenge healthcare hit by cyber attack. And this in and of itself does not interest me, but it's based right on what you just talked about, Mike. Down here at the bottom of it, it says something to the effect of it was a nation state adversary that launched Super the attack. advanced. Right. Super advanced nation state adversary that did the attack. That kind of my kind of building on what you've talked about. It's easy now to say, well, we got hacked by a nation state adversary. You know, you've been doing this a long time. You know what nation state adversaries look like. And there's some of these breaches. They're like, no, this is not secret sauce. This is not like super cutting edge attack. This is it just becomes that boogeyman that you can just throw this at your investors. You can throw this at the sec and you could say a sophisticated nation state attacker. And no, one's really going to fight you on that. Um, well, and the insurance companies go will through. go ahead, Bronwyn.
2: The insurance companies will, how many, how many insurance companies are saying, Oh, it was a nation state attack. We don't cover that.
1: Now that's only happened in a handful of situations. Like Mondelez. <laughs> but remember with the Mondelez, it wasn't, it wasn't the nation state attacker that caused it. It's the fact that the exploit was released as part of shadow brokers, that it was a nation state level exploit that was used. That's why they didn't pay out in the Mondelez thing. And I think that that eventually got rectified. The Mondelez did get paid. I can't remember 110%, but you're right. Insurance companies are definitely trending that way. But what we're seeing a lot of trends, too, is they're just not even covering for cyber liabilities anymore, So. So, John, you it's want like to call getting out earthquake what insurance. Uh, this attack was? It is like getting or uh, hurricane insurance in Florida at the moment. Uh, go ahead, Ackerman.
4: Oh uh, no, I was going to say you want to call out what this attack was. We have a uh, very small amount of details right now. So uh, what, what's your guess, right? Let's, uh, you know, put put the guesses out there. Do you think it's ransomware? Do you think it's something it's else? It's ransomware like, are... that
3: only hit their payment systems, so they can't get paid.
4: <laughs> so they shut everything down. And
3: that's
1: why I... I'm, so, I'm going to I'm not going to bet against weight on this one. <laughs>
4: so but i think it'll be funny (laughs) if it is ransomware because they're going to be like it was super sophisticated the only the best that was like lockbit it was
1: lockbit and then they lost the keys because lockbit (laughs) got kicked down super super nation state attack and here's what they did it's this lead attack called directory traversal attack and brand new (laughs) we just 99 against microsoft but um and that uh uh, can't sure it was an a sysadmin that
2: had password
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cam Bush brought up a great point. Colonial pipeline style shutdown. Um, Remember what, and that's kind of what Wade was talking about. When Colonial knew that they were compromised, they they shut down everything out of an abundance of extreme caution, right? Which I kind of agree with that. So I was kind of involved in that incident. But um, it could very well be like that. It absolutely could have been just shut down everything out of an abundance of caution. And that kind of goes against what Mike was talking about like what we were dealing with 15 years ago, right, Mike? Where they're like, we're going to keep going in the middle of an incident. And we're, you know, you, used to... Say, John,
4: usually to usually down. when everything shuts down, that's ransomware, all right? Like,
1: it's like so... I, I disagree, once again. Like, there's been a number of organizations, once they do get hit, uh-huh. they do shut yeah. down everything now. And that's very different from what it was. Oh, hold on,
4: uh, all right. I'll give you the, the, the most recent one uh, that I can think of, right? Was um, the Vegas one, right? We yeah. were like, totally
1: Damn. ransomware. And they were like... It was ransomware, but we shut things down. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm agree (laughs) with you. The majority of the time, it probably is ransomware.
4: Yeah, that's probably Uh, John, and not to say that you're wrong. That people may not react that way. I'm just saying that usually when we have service disruptions, it's usually an indicator of ransomware.
0: Uh, People Uh, don't we have don't we have DHS uh, essentially guidelines that basically say that if you were attacked with ransomware uh, or if you were attacked by a nation state, but you were using this approved dhs software uh to protect yourself you're not going to be found negligent
1: i don't know how far that goes though to like some of these uh third-party private companies right sure. and it, i i don't know I, I i kind of cut out the nist regulations the new framework stuff that nist had but kind of with a lot of that stuff whether it's dhs or CISA, it's it, up until what was it a couple of weeks ago where we were wondering jesus did CISA actually shut down a government agency um, or not an agency. They shut down a VPN software, and they did shut down some agencies because of that. It kind of gets into the question of: are, are we starting to see DHS and CISA starting to flex their might a little bit, or is it just in government agencies? And
0: well, the, this, this Came out right stuff. before this. This came out right before the Sony hack, the last Sony hack. Uh, and so this has been a been a while. But but the deal was: Oh, well, you're using Mandiant to protect yourself, so therefore you're not negligent. Because this yeah. was a nation-state attack.
1: Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think that it's gone. I haven't heard much of that since then, right? I, I just don't know. So, are we going
3: to get another like hour-long rant about the new NIST? No, no, it's pretty no. Good. I
1: promise, I'm not. I'm <laughs> that not was a good video. <laughs> all, all right, <laughs> but I do want to get into something that's ranty, though. Uh, the next story I want to talk about is, you know, we talk so much about ransomware and all of this stuff. We brought it up on this show, and I've talked with a number of you personally. When we see the ransomware attacks, that's not the stuff that really scares me all that much, right? The stuff that absolutely terrifies me are the attackers that sit and dwell for extended periods of time. Chinese hacking groups just recently had their, what, their shadow broker or their vault vault type breach. Basically, it's a whole bunch of documentation about cyber espionage operations in China. I can't remember the name of the company that the documents actually came from, but there are some really terrifying quotes in here. One of the quotes that came back is Christopher Ray said, China had stolen more of our personal and corporate data than every nation, big or small, combined. And that's scary. But the scariest quote that I got from this, and talking with a lot of FBI agents over the past few years, and also people in the Air Force and other DOD organizations. It said if each one of the FBI's cyber agents and intelligence analysts focused exclusively on the China threat, the Chinese hackers would still outnumber cyber FBI personnel by at least 50 to one. And That's you know, we talk about ransom, we talk about it is insane, right? S- some of us, you know, we've been talking about this for decades, right? Like? This isn't about the noisy attack. This isn't about the ransomware where they shut you down. We're talking about adversaries that want to dwell, maintain access so they can use it for strategic and tactical advantage at some point further on down the line or still intellectual property. This is the stuff like if you're watching the magic trick, the ransomware and all of that is the hands of the magician, the bright, shiny thing the magician is showing you. The actual trick is in the other hand. I, I don't think that this gets enough buzz in the industry. Um, this should be the stuff that we are trying to gear our defenses against, not necessarily the standard ransomware that's out there. So I wanted to get you all's take on this, but this article, I think, scared me more than any of the articles we had. I
3: I think this is classic China, right? Like, uh, most U S based companies or just the U S based people in general look at the current news and look just a couple months, a couple years ahead where of course, China is epically known to play the long game and they've been doing it for ever now and they're doing freaking great and this is just that it's really hard for us at least from what i've seen to really understand that and to try to go with it but then again like how do we fight 50 to 1 like i'm i'm like 25 at the minimum but you know like i cannot fight 50 to 1. <laughs> like it's um, just pure manpower it's brute force or, at the end of the or, day like,
5: or or quality versus quantity i mean it's just you have that that ratio of 50 to one like it are are all hackers created equal like is it is is one fbi intelligence analyst equal to 20 or 30 chinese hackers There's t- no F- not really having that equivalency there um, and let's be honest one-to-one
1: at all quantity has its own has a quality all of its own yeah. right as a quote that was attributed to stalin whether or not he said it or not was a completely different thing um oh, i the- think also, also-
6: You're also looking at a situation with with China, especially where the government itself is is taking in anybody that seems to have any sort of aptitude on it. So they've got the next one up. It's not the U.S. or a lot of Western democracies where it's come work for us. Help us be secure. This is this is your job. This is what you're going to do for X amount of time until we say that you're done doing this. And then you can go into private. And then you're still going to go ahead and work for us. It's and like, a different mindset. In in China's mindset overall, I mean, you take a look. In the U.S., we play chess. In China, they play Go. Completely yep. different games, completely different sorts of strategies. And China well, has that built into their DNA at this point. And in China, the other thing to remember
1: is they have three tiers of hackers, right? So tier one would be hackers that are specifically... Their whole mission objective is to hack Chinese citizens, gain access to Chinese organizations, uncovering and hunting down Chinese dissidents. And they have carte blanche to be able to do that against their citizens in a way that no other country, well, maybe Singapore and a handful of others in Russia, that they can do that. If you're good at that, you move up to the second tier. And the second tier is attacking other countries, corporations and their infrastructure, right? The third tier are the people that have proven themselves for the first two tiers that literally are hacking defense industrial base complexes on foreign adversaries. So whenever they're training, whenever they're practicing, they aren't going to classes and learning. They're doing the training live against their own IP address space, against their own citizens. They prove themselves as a meritocracy to move up to the second tier. They prove themselves as a meritocracy to move up to the third tier. And then just as Mike was saying, a huge amount of what happens in China are companies that are doing business in China that literally have direct connections. They have a whole bunch of Chinese developers. They have a whole bunch of like straight VPNs between the two companies and their citizens are part of that intelligence apparatus. And it's not like they're spies. They're just literally told, Hey, go get this thing. And they do it. There are apparatuses also students in the United States that are getting internships within the United States. And I don't want this to be like, hey, freak out against everybody that's Chinese, even though it does kind of sound like that. But you have to understand that that's how this system is structured. And
2: well, we don't have a system like that at all. Yeah, Bronwyn. One of the things to, to build on what Wade was saying is that they're playing a long game. They're playing a very long game. And, and Go Beautiful, beautiful assessment in terms of the differences, in terms of the mindset. Ultimately, the difference in the number of hackers and the quality of hackers between the United States and other nations comes down to the dedication of will. And our politicians have exactly one thing on their mind at all times, and that's re-election. So they don't have this long game mentality where they're looking... Five, 10, 20 years down the line. And until we're able to develop that in critical portions of our community, we're, we're never going to catch up.
1: And Andrew, see? I wanted to I wanted to pull you into this. Andrew, one of the things that I'm very curious about is whenever we're learning security, whenever we're learning pen testing, whenever we're learning like red teaming and cloud infrastructures. Like, we're teaching people how to do security assessments for Google, Google Cloud Compute, and Amazon, and Office 365, and Azure, and all these things. Do you see, like, in the cloud space, that like, places like Russia and China, are they using that same cloud infrastructure, or do they have their own types of cloud infrastructures that they're using? Like, maybe, you know, from, like, Baidu, or was that Amazon competitor, I can't remember, completely brain farted, um, online shopping uh, that they, they have yep. yeah there, like a lot of them out there alibaba i think
7: it's the alibaba would be the big one that's the one that i was putting yeah, the the code is suspiciously similar to aws yeah <laughs> um i just want to acknowledge what cronwin said for a minute about u.s politicians and their 10 years because that blew my mind for for just like a minute but um uh, but yeah, it's really it, it's really hard um, to kind of teach things in in some of the other jurisdictions because uh, we have ITAR compliance and we have all these things that kind of prevent us from teaching cloud skills in other countries that aren't friendly with the U.S. And, no. and we have actually run into that in the class that I teach. Uh, but in general, I think that there is like a, a very thirsty knowledge base out there. Uh, That wants to really learn cloud and cloud stuff. I just don't know how much accessibility there is in in other countries beyond like U.S. and EU.
1: Yeah, it's just one of those things going on. Do
3: do you think the quality of our tech, because a lot of our cybersecurity quality, right, can't be exported. It can't be taught um i have talked to individuals in china who do cyber defense and they don't get these flashy cool tools that we all have right does that make the difference of that one to fifty which like these fancy edrs these Sems, anything that theoretically can't be taught or can't be legally in these countries it, it, it-,
7: it could you know, if you look at aws you know china is a region a uh, fed ramp is a region and um uh, the China region is treated in the same way as uh, AWS kind of treats FedRAMP, which is that features roll out there at a glacial pace. So they they actually get technology behind the the rest of of the world. So they're they're learning things that are are maybe or it's a subset really of of things that they actually can learn and experiment with, unless they're kind of VPNing back to the US and then learning those things and then applying the subset of products that they can learn in their effectively private cloud, because it is a region with uh, things that are feature flagged off.
1: And I'm gonna, if people wanna get an idea, um, I can't remember the gentleman's last name, but Jeremiah keynoted uh, WayWest Hacking Fest in San Diego uh, a couple of years ago. And he was in Ukraine, married to a Ukrainian lady, had kids in Ukraine. And when the when war started, He actually was actively working with groups to do like what is exposed and using Russia as an example. Point is, the Russian infrastructure was nowhere near as secure as what we see in the United States. I'm also hearing things very, very similar out of China. China is difficult, though. Jeremiah Fowler, thank you very much. And there's the YouTube video for it as well. But China, from what I've heard from people that may or may not be doing scanning behind the Great Firewall of China. It looks very, very different on the inside versus the outside. And on the inside, from what I've heard, is that they are very much wide open. They don't have really good security practices at all. But again, also in the United States, we have lots of things that are wide open out there as well. But Mike, I want to throw a quote over that, you know, this, this concerns me because there's a quote, I can't remember who said it, I'm hoping you remember who said it, a long time ago. The quote was, what if the cyber war already happened and we lost? Um, I think it was Hillary that said that, but I'm not entirely certain, but this has been something that we've been talking about, like since I've known you and we had dinner like 17 years ago in San Diego, this was a topic of conversation, the exact same effing thing, you know, China, a lot more attackers than we have here. Do you think that that's, that's the same narrative or do you think it's actually gotten to the point of a, like, it's come to a head and this is much worse than it was 17 years ago?
0: I think that it's much, much worse. We had the you know when we had the the multiple Chinese-based attacks uh, against u. s. federal agencies uh, and uh, and I, ID. brokers and so forth, there was a lot of pushback. What we saw, at least even on the private sector, was the Chinese di- divesting themselves of a lot of access. Uh, so all of a sudden, we, we had systems that we verified that two, three weeks before had been used by Chinese hacks, hackers. Uh, that were now being used by uh, kind of Eastern European criminal gangs uh, and so forth, uh, and that made no sense. So I, I, I think that the, the Chinese never stopped, but they got a lot more sophisticated and and got a lot more controlled in their uh, abuse of their their external or foreign resources.
1: And also for a while during the Obama administration, remember they started they stopped attacking directly, but they went through proxies where they started hiring. Uh, different third party kind of mercenary organizations to do the attacks for them. So they, like, I think Bronwyn was the one, like they're, they're playing the game in a different way than the way that we look at it. Um, So any other final things on this before we wrap it up, folks? wade through, way throughout there. It's time to learn Mandarin. Yeah, uh, right. I tried <laughs> to learn Russian. That was so hard. Oh, I don't want. I want to be taken over by a country whose language I can learn easily. Um, right, right. If you're um, going to, that is well. easier. Um, no, I'll I will
3: welcome it, our Australian overlords instantly. There we go, That's Australia.
1: Fine. That'd be an easy one. <laughs> Just I don't, don't make me drink Foster's. Foster. Yeah, I don't want to have to have a book that's like this thick, that's like verb conjugations. Like that's just <laughs> it has four or five different variations of ma that can mean everything from a mother to milk to a, whatever. It's, it's, no. It's, I don't uh, want to Did
3: you want, do you want, did you want to end on a good note at least? Let's
1: end on a good note, Wade. What do you got?
3: Uh, I want to throw out there the, the Eminem story. I know Alex pitched it, right? It should be yeah. like the last one. Pretty much, uh, I believe this vending machine was in Europe or was in the e- or UK, right? And it had an error on it talking about the facial recognition software is uh, currently broken. So why does a vending
1: good news story? How, why hell? does the like,
3: vending machine I'm have facial funny. recognition software?
1: That's what we need to know.
5: So I'm going, it, it's on demographics. Like when they say like, even in, because I looked at like the website for InVenda and they have like, you can manage pricing remotely. Think you about can manage, that. So you go, manage it's like, pricing so you have somebody, based on
3: demographics.
5: Is that what they're you, doing? You could, <laughs> you can. They're trying to get like the demographic status. So you, let's say you have somebody like Dave Kennedy is walking up to the machine. They know they're wow. not going to sell Dave Kennedy a candy bar unless it's at a good price, and they don't display the prices until you press the button. However, if somebody
6: walks up, states?
5: if somebody yeah, walks I, up, I, I don't know, he's got, big, like, he's got big, he's got big wallet energy right there. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and he might but if if it sees somebody that walks up that looks like they believe that candy bars is one of the four basic food groups they're like great this guy's already got his money in the machine he's going to select this thing and we're, we're going to you know add 50 cents to it because how do you know you go okay well that seems too much Let let's go check another one okay it can adjust there oh. um so it, it and when it says like you know in the story it says you know it it doesn't Get any an individual person can't be identified, but it is a, it can absolutely do the demographic Going, okay, so you know all these these college women coming from their yoga class. What do they want to get? What is the price point that they're going to go for? Um, you know, we how many candy after a workout?
3: <laughs> what are what are the what's the policy of them being able to take my demographic without me accepting it, or does me buying the M and M's accept that they can use my demographic? Or at least it, probably it, it have one
5: <laughs> of those, those blurry areas where because it's so like broad demographic that it's not you waiting for look public It is the the yeah. person with a certain figure, certain facial features there that, that
3: mustache. <laughs> how much are they going to play for He's got this a mustache, is, he likes peanut MAC? M&M, so. Yeah. So this is what <laughs> they probably well, they have, have super yeah.
2: They probably have super, this is super what- fine print somewhere at the bottom of the machine that says, by pressing this button, you can sense. Oh, God.
1: I, but this is why we need hackers, right? This is why, like, I look at hackers as almost like a check on these things. And it pisses me off. You know, the pendulum goes back and forth. We talk about it between defenders and attackers and things like that. And I, God, I don't, sorry, quick rant. We need more hackers to tear things like this apart. And get underneath the hood and figure out what it is actually crap, uh, capturing, what it is actually collecting about us, how it is being transferred, because that's, we need to keep some of these technology companies honest in some, some ways. And I feel like there's too many of these different cloud things and we don't have enough people with the skills to take this stuff apart, whether it's hacking a Wii controller or hacking a vending machine or hacking APIs for cloud infrastructure. We need more hackers in the world to kind of uncover what's actually being done by these things. Um, And you may think, well, if I hack, I'm going to get in trouble. No, remember the department of justice. If you're a good faith security researcher and you're releasing that information to make the world a safer, better place. And that is your primary goal. They're more than likely not going to brush charges against you more than likely,
3: depending on the state
1: (laughs) with that. Yeah, with, (laughs) with that. Thank you so much for everyone for joining this week. Let's bring out the crooked finger and we'll see you next week on the news. Bye, everybody.